Dr. G, my co-host, Dr. D. How you doing, Adam? <laughs> Hello. I am doing good. And this is going to be a stuffed mushroom of a booster shot, the first booster shot of season two. And uh, so many goodies, so many goodies that are going to be packed inside. Um, so let's not, uh, let's not delay. Um, the first thing we're going to do is sort of go back to the things we may have forgotten to say or have thought of since um, previous podcasts on a couple of different movies. Updates. 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 Uh, yeah, sure. Um, updates cutting room floor. Yeah, cutting room floor. Um, so one was just, uh, for me, I had two little notes on, on uh, Midnight Special. One was just this sort of random thought. I, we're so far away from the conversation now, it seems silly to mention it, but I, I still keep going back to like how is their son the, from this other plane? How did he come to exist? And, and this whole idea of, is it heaven? I was sort of working on that idea. That well, I think I, 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 you're absolutely right. And I think that that's what they were going for, was that there would be, that, that, that it had this religious overtone to it. Yes. So they were kind of projecting a Joseph and Mary situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? I, I think so. We, we, we were supposed to... Think? You know, I think so. I think so. You know, all, all that had happened to me was I had this little fantasy that that the, their son actually died somehow, and what they were doing was delivering his soul. That his soul had been trapped on this plane, and that it's the process of their bringing his soul to where it needs to be. So he was born. I don't know. Wait, how? But it's not his soul? It is. I don't know. Listen, like I said, it's a half-baked idea. It's almost a stoner thought. So maybe we should just leave it at that and move on and not get too caught up okay. in, in my crazy musings. But I didn't think we were going to go stoner right out, like, right <laughs> out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Okay. Um, uh, and I have one more thing about Midnight Special, but I wanted to see if you had anything that sort of had come to you since the last time we talked about it. No, not really. Not at all. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. I wanted to see if I... This is going to be a little bit of an experiment. <clears throat> I wanted to play uh, the, the uh, piece of the song Midnight Special as I knew it in the 70s. Oh, we know what this is. We know what's coming. Do we? Well, I mean, there may be some younger listeners. There may be people who don't quite know. There's okay. a, I, I have an end game here. Okay, um, okay, okay. So uh, I'm going to see if I, can, if I can pull it off. So this is just a... Just the chorus, basically, for uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival's Midnight Special. And that's pretty much what I'm talking about. A, f a good time song. I mean, it's singing about the subject matter is a little bit 
a little bit darker about, you know, just difficulties in the world and, and how much you're going to have to suck it up for the man. Um, the end of the movie, the very end of uh, Midnight Special, the movie, they play an updated version of that song. It, in, in actuality, it's called Midnight Special and then parenthetically, Take Me With You. And this is their version of that chorus. Okay, so those are the two. And to me, that second one says everything about the tone of the movie and how it is different from that original song. I went in looking for the spirit of that original song in this movie, but it delivered a different tone and kind of tempo and even melody, basically. Um, yeah. And that, that, that's all it was, because I was sitting in the audience at the end and that song came on and I just went, that says everything about what felt off about this to me. Uh, specifically when using that title. You know, it's like a, it's, it's like a, naming a song, uh, you know, um, a Surfer Girl, and the whole thing takes place in a submarine. Whether there's a girl in it or not, it, the song doesn't quite match the, uh, the thing. And even if you look at the lyrics of Midnight Special, the song, it doesn't necessarily inform the movie that I could tell. No. Um, I... I... Yeah, I, I kind of pieced that out during the movie. Yeah. Myself. Um, I, I give him credit for not actually using the song in the movie. Yes, that was and, fine with me. Making, you know, making the connection obvious. But it, it also seemed to me like a weird uh, strategy for... A movie title. Yes. Because I know that that connects it to the story, but the title itself, like, because the title doesn't connect with the story independently of that connection. And, and, and here's the thing. Yeah, separate the fact that there's a song called Midnight Special. I didn't even really get what that title... It's not a common enough phrase that everyone knows what you mean. Like, is that like the Underground Railroad? You know, right. It's not... <laughs> right. But even if what he was going to do is take those words Midnight Special and redefine them, I don't understand how those two words relate to this movie. It's not like if every night at midnight they went, that's when they hit the road on their, on their cross-country odyssey. Right. Then, right. But as far as I know, they just left the dark or whenever they felt like they needed to run. So, um Anyway, uh, so that's a little, it's not exactly a complaint, but it was just like an indication of where Jeff Nichols' head was at that I still can't wrap myself, my mind around some of it. Going back a little further to, uh, to Cloverfield Lane, I started to tell yes. a, an anecdote last time, and I thought I was talking about Midnight Special, and I got 80% of the way through it and then realized it was the wrong movie. It's still made, it's still applied. That's the best part. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, that's that's true. Um, and yeah, basically what it was was that my 17-year-old son, who had seen 
10 Cloverfield Lane with his friends after refusing to go with his parents um, and having no interest otherwise. Um, and then uh, subsequent, you know, we're driving in the car and I said, so what did you think of it? And he basically went, the last third of it was like, it was the wrong thing. I didn't need it. And it just feels so weird that it just keeps coming up this, you know, from old men like us to a young buck like him, that alien section of that movie is not quite satisfying the way it, it's right. not like, it's not the logical conclusion of everything that came before it. It's, it crosses the generation gap. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> well, yes, that is true. However, you know that is a uh, that is a that is a that is a youth who is a product of your loins. That is a young buck of the <laughs> old buck. Yeah. So I mean, he's know, yeah. He around our dinner table. Shit, you know that he's hit to stuff like this already. Right. You know, it's like I expected that from him. <laughs> yeah well that's true he uh, sat around a table with me sitting sat in cars with me over the years hearing me complain about you know just exactly this kind of story structure stuff um and then also i don't i don't remember if we really touched on it last uh when we were talking about 10 cloverfield lane you can check me on this but never once in the course of it that i can recall does anybody make any reference whatsoever to the events of the original Cloverfield movie, movie. No, even though it takes place chronologically later, and even though they are supposed to be, according to the filmmakers, connected in some way. And it just seems, it seems really crazy to me that he, he you know, he, he has to say, oh, there's been an invasion. All he has to say is, it's happened again! And they'd all go, oh my god! Exactly. You know, it'd, be, right. it'd be a lot easier to that, convince them you know, that this thing happened. Right, right. That wasn't thought through very well, because the notion of something having gone bad up there was so alien a concept to her. Right. Whereas if it had taken place in the original Cloverfield universe, one of the first things she would have said is, holy shit, did another one of those things come down? Right, right. And so uh, John so Goodman's character has to work a whole lot harder to convince them of something that shouldn't, or convince her of something that shouldn't have been that hard to uh, that was, convince that, them of. That, that was realistic. That, that was actually a realistic option. Right. Inadvertently, I'm sort of changing lanes now a little bit, but yeah. those first two films that we talked about this season were, um, they were essentially uh, movies that had either alien, an alien, like they're both science fiction movies. And they both involved aliens, particularly in the third act, and particularly unsatisfying in that in that part of it. And I hadn't realized, you know, uh, until after we talked about them, how they were similar in that way. Um, you you look stumped. Did I stump no, you? No, or you no, just... no, no, I'm processing. Okay. No, 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 I'm processing. Yeah, I I completely uh, cool. Completely with you, as I'm sure everyone. Else's. Has anything uh, else come up to you? Come up for you over uh, over Ten Cloverfield Lane? Um, no. Okay. No, not really. Since it hasn't, it hasn't resonated so much. Uh, I, I actually, what it's more the pregnancy of the story, the implications that have stayed with me more than 
any of the more obvious. Okay, okay. And, moments. you know, as long as we're sort of talking about both of them at once now, I would say that, that I know the last time I made a, a big deal with a Midnight Special about how um, there were all these questions asked and there were not enough answers and da 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 but those questions are going to stay with me and kind of haunt me a little bit. And, you know, where is this kid from? And what did it all mean? And how do those pieces fit together? And <clears throat> the stuff that he deliberately didn't answer, um, I'm actually having more fun thinking about than I thought I was going to when I didn't get the answers in the first place. Or Oh, well, good for, oh, oh Yeah. Good so for you. That's great. That's so great. mission accomplished maybe, for mission maybe so, I'm, yeah exactly maybe I'm growing up a little I can't um, say I know what that feeling is like myself but <laughs> um, okay so now I'm going to go into the way back machine what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and, and talk about the revenant as it relates to Birdman and, and I, I have something I want to I, I have a I have a title I want to interject in this oh in, in this particular in this category thing. Okay. as well Okay, so, so here's the thing. Uh, both written and directed by the same fella, um, Alejandro. Yes. And, um, and I just think they're interesting. Uh, it's interesting to contrast them. I think they're both the work of a very assured director and, and a, a very specific and original work to him, given that it's all collaborative to a certain extent. But in Birdman... It is all about dialogue. I mean, yes, the camera's doing the work, and they did this thing where it's sort of treated like a continuous shot or whatever. But everyone, there, there's nonstop talk. It's like, it's like Pinter. It's just, or, or uh, who's the other one who, uh, uh, oh my God, I can't remember. Uh, Mammoth? No, yes, not. Mammoth. I was going to say oh, Mammoth. Okay. Where it goes, bop, 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 you know, right. like that. It's just nonstop New York Ratatat dialogue. dialogue. And then here we go to Revenant, and it's just vistas and silence. And that, mm. that would come from the same guy and just as be just as, as assuredly handled in both cases as it was is really kind of remarkable to me. And just for some random reason, I wanted to go back and shine a, a spotlight on the Revenant. And in particular, there's a, there's a shot where it starts snowing. And uh, Leo DiCaprio has come across another man in the middle of the wilderness who had some food, I think, and he shared the food with him. And yeah. uh, it starts to snow, and they both just stick their tongues out, you know, like uh, like Charlie Brown's Christmas, you know, <laughs> catching snowflakes on their tongue. And it's just a, a sweet and beautiful moment of uh, not just man and nature, but men and nature. And uh, nothing to do with the overall story or doesn't propel the story particularly. But it's just a, you know, not just that he gets food from this guy, but they share this one particular moment together is kind of um, kind of cool. Uh, what was your interjection? Oh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean it like an interjection. Yeah. but um, Not at all. Go on. Yeah, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're completely correct. Um, and... It's funny how he, I mean, he obviously has been able to uh, to execute intensity and 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 uh, and act and very intense action, um, but also an incredibly quiet 
intimacy at the same time. Right, right. Um, that, yeah, there are these horrific things going on and you still feel contained somehow by nature. I was very struck with that opening massacre, that opening oh, yes. sequence, just in that the, the, the way that localized deaths and injuries were were being conveyed in the midst of these right. shots. It yeah. was it was chaos all around, but then it would focus in on one particular uh, moment of chaos and sort of make it human and relatable, and then go back to the the larger in a way, mayhem. But in a way that you feel it's almost like zooming in on a detail. Yeah. Of a of a broader canvas. Right, 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 right. Like being uh, looking at Google Maps and saying, "No, I want to see what it looks like here." Um, See, I would definitely see this again before I would see Midnight is Special again. I am with you. I think that it is a much... Um, they are both good meals, but, but I, yes, I think that, uh, that The Revenant is much more filling. Um, I had, I had uh, sort of uh, recalled something about Hateful Eight that they... Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, what do you got? And that occurred to me that 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 I didn't didn't mention before, which is that uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I'll see it again. It has it has it is the the little 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 tarnished since since we last talked about it. Oh, really? For me, well, because as I thought about it, and I guess I would ha technically have to see it again to prove my point, um, to prove my theory. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think if you watch it the second time, or, you know, or multiple viewings, I don't think it's going to have the same kind of magic, in quotes, because if once you know that they're all in on it, I'm certain there are moments prior to the end of that movie where they could have just taken out Kurt Russell and Samuel Jackson. Like, come on. There were times where Kurt Russell's like prancing around and you're going to give me a gun. And like, oh man. Like, how many times did you need to have him before you put poison in the coffee? Like, right, right. I don't know. It just, it felt like a cheat to me. Um, I can, uh, I can speak to this because I did actually see it twice. Despite my re objections to it, I had seen it at a screening at, well ahead of the release, and then uh, my son and wife wanted to see it as well, so I went along. Um, and we had already talked about it at that point. Um, and so, well, just to recap the fact that when I saw it the second time, I some of the things that I complained about, um, I realized I had been wrong or had misunderstood what I was seeing. I was oh, I was so busy, you know. I'm going to be mad at Quentin Tarantino. Sharpening your knives. Yeah, sharpening my knives. That I I had misread stuff. And your machetes. But too. Right. But specifically, specifically, for what you are saying, you're absolutely right. That there are, there are. I mean, and then I'm going to have a point to say on top of that. But I mean, they could they could take the him out the minute he walks in. She's in chains. It's just the two of them. Everybody else in the room is in on it. They don't have to shoot him. They could jump him and knife him. People outside wouldn't be any wiser. 
I mean, they certainly could have at the ver at that very moment could have done something to move their agenda along. But also, any point along the line, yes, there were moments where people were distracted by things and they could have just come made a. Come to think of it, they probably could have taken him out when he was nailing the door shut that he they told him to nail shut. Exactly. No, get another, get another board. Not one board needs two. Right. And during the second board, somebody comes over with a second hammer and just caves his head in. But more than that, more than that, I want to say that what is absolute here, here's the thing about watching a movie like that, right? You watch through where there's a big secret, like one character has a secret and they're behaving a certain way, and it makes sense in one context, and then later you realize, oh, they had a whole other agenda going it's on. Like right. And when you watch it through the second time, an example of this might be um, not exactly the same thing, but the sixth sense. The first time you watch it, and then you go, oh my goodness, and then you go back and watch it again, and you see where those seams are, and you're like, I should have noticed that, but I didn't, because I was so busy assuming, yeah, what no, are you going to say? No, I disagree. No, I disagree. I okay. disagree about that movie. All right. Uh, yeah, yes, about what you're talking about. Yes, I feel, I find that that often happens, that, the, that people get so swept up by the surprise that they're dropping, yeah. that they don't kind of backtrack and realize and do the math and realize that it doesn't add up. Right. But in this case... Once you're in on it. Um, but I, but in the sixth sense, I, I did I did not have the feeling the second time around. It did it did still work. There, to me, was not a moment in that movie the second time. Oh, I'm not saying that. I'm not oh, saying it okay, didn't work. Okay. I'm not saying it didn't work. I'm saying the first time you saw it, you couldn't see the seams. The second time you saw it, you knew they were seams, but they were still... You knew where the seam was, but right. it was still perfect. But... But it was in a way, but it was almost like watching the movie second time was almost like fact checking. Right, but no, so you, no, I understand. Like, but here's the thing: like, like oh wait, did he? What what I'm saying is this: to somebody, right? No, he never actually talks to anybody. Except. Exactly, and and so that's sort of what I'm saying: is you go back through it and look at it in a different way, and it adds a level of meaning and enjoyment to it. In this movie, there is not a single one of her, uh, the gang that's coming to save her. Where if you go back and look at it a second time, no one is playing any kind of a second level. No one has a glint in their eye. No one has anything that the second time you watch it, you go, oh, I see. There's no I see. Um, because the performances are, are fairly shallow. And, and even though he has very actors who are certainly capable of playing multiple levels at once, he only plays the level that the, the glossy level that they're showing and not the, the thing underneath. Maybe it was his, uh, his, his, his cinematic love letter to Kurt Russell. Because I, I, I think if I did see it again, I think I would still enjoy Kurt Russell's performance and the bigness of it it's, that he gave it. It's great fun, but it doesn't get richer than that. And it, that's and true. It, that, and it yeah, should. That's true. In a, right. there's, in no, a, there's no level to it. There's no dimension. In a room full of people who are keeping secrets, once you know the secrets, going through it a second time should be that much more fun. And it's not. Right. Um, wow, you went far back for Hateful Eight. Anything else <laughs> rattling around in there you nope. want to talk about? Nope. All right. Sorry. All right, that's the end of the cutting room floor segment. I want to just do a quick stop with uh, viewer mail. I guess it's not viewer mail. It's listener mail. And I wanted to give a, uh, give a shout out to um, listener uh, Michelle H., who dropped us a line on our Facebook page. Thank you so much, Michelle. And in specific, specifically, she was talking about 
Um, <clears throat> excuse me. She was talking about Cloverfield Lane, 10 Cloverfield Lane. And she yeah. writes, I really liked this movie until the end as well. I thought it would have been better if it, ha- uh, if it would have ended with her coming out and seeing the alien ship, and then that's it. I thought it was interesting that you knew something bad was going on out in the world, but was it better for her to hang out with the crazy guy? Also, if this is set a few years after the first Cloverfield movie, then why would they still think he was lying? Well, she's coming back to the point we just made. Uh, He could say, hey, remember when the aliens came and fucked shit up last time? So, yes. Um, I didn't realize we were stepping on 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 both of her points, or at oh, least one of her points. But nice one. Uh, no, but it, it, you think we read our mail? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd read it before, but I'd forgotten what she said exactly. Right, then you absorbed it. I was so excited that I got a letter. Anyway, um, and I actually kind of I almost liked that. I I, I I don't see how it ever could have been done this way, but. That she, you know, that she gets out and we have a big climactic thing, and yay, I won! And then she turns around and sees that the, the there are aliens there, and cut to black, roll credits. There's something about that I really do like. Yeah. Um. And and and. Like you might have actually been better off. <laughs> right. Sucking that guy's dick. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, your table in hell is waiting. It's ready. It's got uh, the reserve no, side. I meant that, I meant that metaphorically. <laughs> metaphorically, okay. All right, so uh, as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about vanity projects. But I have to, there is a caveat here that I need to warn you about. Oh, boy. Dr. G, which is <clears throat> that, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Oi, I'm trying to find it here. Um, it's really hard to search for Stories that directors wrote when they were a child that then they went on to make as adults. So we're just sort of sliding into Vanity Project, the area of Vanity Project, which yes. in and of itself is often negative. So unfortunately, I think the list, the, the list or lists that I have focus more on the misfires. And uh, some of them are not even, you know, like... You know, Freddy Got Fingered came up on a couple of them. I'm like, why are we even talking about this? I'm not even sure that counts as a movie, let alone a vanity project. But um, in any case, excuse me. Uh, I have one that's the 10, the t- 10 worst, and then I also have one that's the 30 worst. But I think we, uh, we'll, we'll stick to the 10 for now. And you're going to a, list, a published list? Okay. Yes. I, I was actually just trying. I was a. You were trying to do it in your in your mind. I'm I'm not good enough at that. No, I I came up with uh, with a couple good of positives. Good, yeah, then you will be uh, welcome. We'll go to those later because the negatives are going to be more fun. To uh, possibly, um, go uh, for it. The number ten on this list here is uh, Hudson Hawk from 1991. Uh, I don't even know if you remember it. If you saw, I know oh. I saw it. I saw it in theater. Wow. In, uh, where was I? Brooklyn or something. I don't know. Um, and, you know, it was basically Bruce Willis's thing. And it was pretty, pretty terrible. I don't, <laughs> it's such a long time ago. I know. That was no return of Bruno. No, it was not. Uh, it was not. And then, uh, let's see here. Moonwalker. Well, who knows? But I give them that. I mean, those, those late, those see now when we see now when you when 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 we talked about doing this when yes we, when we put the challenge out there I was under the impression that it was 
that it wasn't so much a vanity project as a dream project. Those okay, are two okay. Completely different things to me. Yes, vanity projects, of course. You can't name a single one that worked. <laughs> um, but a dream. I thought you were talking strictly about a dream. You know, I just had trouble. Uh, I had trouble. Carried so. a torch for this story for twenty plus years. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. I will retire then. This uh, my uh, my notes here. And I will uh, turn it. Turn, no, no, I'll turn it over to you, and maybe together we can come up with something better than I came up with alone. Oh man. Um, well, like I said, I'd, I'd come up with one or two positives, and one of them would be uh, would be Excalibur, which is a 1981 film by John Borman. Yes. Uh, and that. I believe still remains the gold standard of serious King Arthur cinema. Really? I, I, at least in the circles in which I, in which you travel. Yeah. Um, um, it, 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 it has this almost otherworldly atmosphere to it. Shot on location in Ireland. Just, you know, on 35-millimeter film and not, like, you know, no optical effects, certainly no computer effects. And <clears throat> what's accomplished and the scale in which it's accomplished um, and the performances, but the, the visuals especially, um, it, 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 you're immersed in the world of the movie. Now, granted, I've never, I haven't watched it on Blu-ray yet, so for all I know, the crystal clarity might, you know, Make it look like Sid and Marty Croft, right? But uh, that's I, I I stick by that because John Borman wanted to make that as far back as the mid '60s. Oh, okay. So he had so a gestating before for... Deliverance, right? Yeah, he, he had been he had he he had a King Arthur in mind. He tried to do Lord of the Rings uh, in 1969. Mm. Um, how, how was it received? It uh, do you remember? Very well. Okay. I don't, I don't know if it was a, uh, if it was a monetary hit. Okay. I remember it getting very good. I remember it getting excellent reviews, which it which it yeah, at the time it deserved. It was one of my uh, early R-rated movies. Uh, artistically well received, not necessarily box office. Correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I and it I has, it has a, a young and. Uh, Deliciously robust Helen Mirren. Yes, I was just going to bring that up. Uh, Gabriel Byrne has a very brief early appearance in it. Uh, but a uh, couple yes, more. There are a couple more it's, names. It's, it, it is elegant and salacious at the same time. Wow. But appropriately. Okay, okay. It's, it, it's, 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 it's done in a, like a real time sort of in camera gotcha um, you also you hadn't yet mentioned Liam Neeson who must have been very young yes I I, th I was about to and I thought oh, I might be wrong about this but he's also got a small part in there Patrick Stewart oh I didn't know that yeah we, I think this has to this demands another viewing because I haven't seen this thing since maybe since the 80s um, certainly not all the way through since the movie theater. Maybe I've caught it bits and pieces on TV. Patrick Stewart and um, an actor whose name I'm going to screw up. 
Siren Hines. Do you have a better pronunciation on oh, his is name? Siren or Chirin? I'm not sure. C I A R A N. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I've come to really like him. Uh, he's done Game of Thrones, certainly. And um, wow. he's been around a lot. Uh, there was a TV show called Political Animals where he played the former president to a wife who was uh, either now a president or running running for the presidency. And it was a really interesting sort of <clears throat> look at politics today. Or po It was from 2012, so it was a while ago. Fish? <coughs> um, excuse me, hang on. <clears throat> um, so he was terrific in that. I want to find the name. Oh, it was Glenn Close, I think. From the, From that. Uh, so a real two real powerhouse actors in it, kind of doing... The Clintons a little bit, but not really. I mean, they were their own people, but some of that sense of the p power set up there. Uh, and then he was also in something, what was it called? It was a, like a um, World War II. It had an interesting, oh, darn it. I think Helen Mirren was also in it. Um, it was called The Debt. Do you remember that at all? No, I, I I I told you I can't keep up with these. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, it was Heron, uh, Helen Mirren again, Tom Wilkinson, um, and uh, Jessica Chastain, and <clears throat> Sam Worthington. And basically, the conceit was you had a section of it that took place in the 1940s, World War II, you know, espionage stuff, and then you had a section where the people who were involved in that espionage, it's now decades later, and they're they're grown up. <clears throat> and they're trying to catch the guy who got away from them in the 40s, um, whom, whom they had promised to bring to justice. So they sort of re-team to uh, take him down. That's oh, a, I remember seeing the trailer for this. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a good, it's a good movie. Um, it, was, it was enjoyable at that. So I don't know how we got on to... Oh, you were talking about um, Excalibur. Excalibur. Yeah. Um, it's that, a slow. No, don't get me wrong. It's 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 slow. I mean, after a while, you do get a little impatient with it, but it's it's just. But you're there. It's just it's beautiful to okay. look at. All right. Soak in. <laughs> you're soaking in it. Uh, and so you said you had a few. Uh, did you have one more or two more? I'm I'm fuzzing out on what the second one was. It was uh, yeah. No, I think it was. I think it was a case of someone who had wanted to do a book for years and years and years, and then finally was able to do it. Something like it wasn't the Mosquito Coast, but it was something like that. Okay. Um, oh, oh yeah. Maybe I'm, <laughs> you know it's. What? No, no one's gonna no one's gonna know what the hell I'm talking about. No, no, no but play, at play in the fields of the Lord. Oh yeah, well I know the name. I don't know the actual. I believe that was a, that was a long gestation to uh, before before it finally was made. It came out in 1991. That could very well be with uh, John Lithgow and Tom Berenger, Daryl Hannah. It's a good cast: Aidan Quinn, Kathy Bates. Holy smokes! Uh, who directed? I don't recall. Hector Babenko. Oh. Uh, based, this yeah. is the Spider Woman. Oh wow, that's another good one. With um, 
gosh, uh, a bunch of people. Raul Julian and uh, William Hurt. Yes, yes. Um, yes, you were correct about um, <clears throat> at Play in the Fields. It was based on a book by uh, Peter Mathiasen, it looks like. Um, yeah. Okay. And again, like maybe something that was well-received, but not necessarily box office gold. No. But uh, <clears throat> but why don't you keep uh, running down some of those uh, those vanity projects? Oh, let's yeah. See, let's see what conversations they spark. <laughs> All right. Very good. <clears throat> Excuse me. How are we doing on time, everybody? Uh, I think we're doing all right. Um, it may be a little... Um, well, we're, yeah, we're... <laughs> Let me quickly uh, just scan through here. Well, I mean, here's one that says that the... I sort of don't want to count stuff like Battlefield Earth, because that just feels dirty. I know that, I think, yeah, no. Well, yeah, again, it's like the dream project or vanity project. Right, right. No, no, these are definitely not dream projects. And you're right, there was a... The, the original call to arms was different than what I ended up finding, so I'm sorry for that. But in this case, yes. it's We're saying... We're talking about passion projects. I mean, some things just take a long time to yes. develop yes. and get the right people involved. and then passion, passion would be a better word, but let me just run down a couple of these that are vanity-based. Yes. Uh, the Alamo, which is a John Wayne movie from the 1960s, yes. he was a huge star at that time. He convinced them to do this, you know, sprawling saga, and you know, claiming that it's what America needed to bring everyone together, and so on and so forth. Right, because this is when, yeah, this is early 60s, so things were just getting hot abroad. Yes, um, something called At Long Last Love. Do you know that one? Oh God, yeah. Well, I don't know if that was a vanity project so much as it was just an incredible flop. That was Peter well, McDonough. I'm going to read a little bit from what it says here. With three successes to his name, yeah. uh, director Peter Bogdanovich, those successes, by the way, were The Last Picture Show, excellent, Paper Moon, one yes. of my favorite movies ever, and uh, What's Up, Doc, What's which is, is still good fun, at least the last time I watched it. Very funny movie. Um, and one of the few times I really liked Barbara Streisand. Um, anyway, he, never seen it. he had Hollywood by the balls at that point because, you know, yeah. he, he was a golden boy. Uh, and he started, uh, he started out as a film historian and his love of cinema surely influenced his decision to make a musical built around the tunes of Cole Porter. He couldn't have made a worse choice, it says here. Yeah. Uh, at long last well, love. Was, yeah, but he was in good company. Uh, you know, the late 70s weren't a good time for musicals. Uh, New York, New York. The Martin Scorsese film. Holy, holy cow. He, t he sent an apology letter to American newspapers after the release of the movie. That's what it says here. Bogdanovich, uh, it failed, and so much so that he took to sending out a letter of apology to American newspapers, which only served to underline his megalomania. It wasn't his Waterloo, but it came close. That's crazy. <laughs> Why, why would he apologize to newspapers? Uh, he's not apologizing to newspapers. He's apologizing to America using the newspaper as the vehicle. Uh, wow. Um, Beyond the Sea with Kevin Spacey as Bobby Darren. I steered, I steered clear of that one. 
I did too. Yeah. No offense to him, but yeah. It just was like, yeah. Now it, now, it lists here the Brown Bunny, which I sometimes hear as like a cult classic, but they're putting it under the category of a horror show. Are you familiar oh. with it? Vincent Gallo? Oh, uh, yeah. Wrote and directed. Um, he's got Chloe uh, Savini. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Um, who performed unsimulated fellatio on him on camera. Uh, so it's sort of this just this just short of, uh, of pornography. Um, and so that earns it. Uh, and then they have Caligula in here and... Uh, oh, Cutthroat Island. Good old MGM. <laughs> but I don't know. I No, no. This, this is just an article of, of, of mega disasters. It does feel it's that just, way, I, but... Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, you. I know you know Cutthroat Island, but we. You know, I, I can run down, like, what went wrong with all these movies, and it wasn't that they were... In development hell, or, right, you know, right, for right. Ten years, well, someone's it, passion project for it does mention. Uh, for it does. Years. It does mention Grindhouse. <laughs> yeah, As, no, this is just like no, no. Well, that does feel like a passion project, though, not one that uh, percolated for years. But he and Robert Rodriguez, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, were very passionate about that. You know, but I would say Tarantino's passionate about everything. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right, how about Heaven's Gate? Does that qualify? As what? What are we talking about here? What What, what are the parameters? Is it um, a mega disaster? You bet it was. Yes. Was it based on somebody's sort of... Ah, it doesn't matter. I mean, listen, hang on. You're the one who said, let's read the list and see what kind of conversation it generates. And so far, it's generated you telling me, why are you mentioning that movie? Well, that's not <laughs> you. I mean, them. All right, I'm I sorry. See. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, 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 it's all right. Uh, I'm not even going to bother with any more of this. I think we've made our point. Uh, sure. Here, let's do this. Let's reserve the right as we move forward. If one or the other of us comes upon something that truly fits this category that we're talking about, much more along the lines of the fifth element, which was something that had gestated since, you know, 10, 15, 20 years within a writer-director. Right. <clears throat> And this is not that show, everybody. No. All right, so we the can... The votes are still being counted. We can set that aside, and I still have I still have quite a lot of material to get through here. Um, oh, and hopefully, hopefully it will you be... Know what? <laughs> what? What? This booster shot is a vanity project. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, hang on now, a second. Now, 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 that I, now, now that I go through that, I'm like, wait, do you want to run down all this tonight? Well, hang on a second. The doctors have only been engaged with one another this evening for just short of 40 minutes, and that includes some throat clearing and some other things. We're not even quite at 40 minutes yet, so this is not... You know what? That's the last time I talked to you beforehand. Hang in there, listeners. (laughs) No, this is good. Listen, if everything else is crap, this part is good. Because here's the thing. I've seen a ton of movies. We don't always talk about them together because some of them are things that... uh, Doctor uh, Doctor G would have nothing to do with, uh, or that he just didn't didn't get to. Uh, uh, oh, and you have some too, yeah? Do you? What? 
have some movies you've seen that we have not yet discussed. Oh, that we haven't discussed. I'm sorry. I thought you meant like some total over the years. No, no, no. Um, okay. No, sorry. No, no, no. Continue. <laughs> okay. So here we're what we're what we're at right now is the is our is a new segment for the booster shot show, the booster shot show, um, that we're gonna call to be an fucking. <laughs> oh man, come on. Take two. <laughs> A new segment for the Booster Shot Show called To See or Not to See. Um, and it's just uh, me doing sort of quick takes and with some interjections from my um, esteemed colleague. Um, <clears throat> so like here we go. It, I, I like to call it Trailer Rundown. Trailer just... Rundown. Okay, Rundown Trailer. Trailer Rundown. Um, some of these are ones that... that... The trailer... This is for you. Gotcha. The Big Short is a good time. Uh, Steve Carell, Christian Bale, Ryan Gosling. But in particular, a couple other actors. Marissa Tomei, who is, um, is always good. Everything she's in, she's good. She's one of those actors that just has integrity, and it just comes through. Um, <laughs> an actor named uh, Hamish Linkletter. Do you know how to pronounce that name? Hamish or Hamish? Varies. Linklater? No, not the Linklater part. The Hamish or the Hamish. 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 Hamish Linklater, who I know from uh, the New Adventures of Old Christine. He played her. He played her brother on that, um, and he was he was just fantastic on that show. Very funny. Very real. Melissa Leo is in this thing. She is always fantastic, and uh, and a guy named Rafe Spall. Do you know this British actor named Rafe Spall? I do know Rafe Spall. It I is. Can't. It is name where I've seen him, but I know I've seen him in a couple of things. Uh, yeah, he did a um, a TV show with Eccleston, uh, a British Christopher Eccleston, Christopher Eccleston. Um, and he was I, I the name of it escapes me at the moment, but he was flat out fantastic in that. I loved him a lot. Um, so that's a C. I would say how far wrong could you go? Spotlight from last year obviously got a lot of attention. Um, and that cast of Mark Ruffalo and Michael Keaton, everyone, anyone, any one of these could get a, an Oscar. John Slattery, who I love from, from Mad Men. Um, but Stanley Tucci was in it as well, the Tooch. Tooch. And he, every once in a while he ends up in stuff that's like, what are you doing here? But um, he does a fantastic job in that as a lawyer that they need to get some information from. And he is, he is spot on perfect. I loved him in it. Um, Hail Caesar. Did you and I ever talk about Hail Caesar? No, because I never... You never saw it. I never got to see it in a the theater. This is another one of these uh, casts that's... I mean, this is the Coen brothers, and uh, they've put together an insane cast with Josh Brolin, George Clooney, uh, Ray Fiennes, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, lots of uh, cameos throughout. Um, there's a uh, an actor named Alden uh, Ehrenreich, or Ehrenreich, Alden Ehrenreich, uh, who's like a young... Um, handsome uh, cowboy actor in this thing and he has scenes with Ray Fiennes one in particular which is just one of the funniest exchanges I've ever seen it's, it's not exactly who's on first but it's this very sophisticated director trying to give a, an, uh, an acting note to this uh, rube and, um, and it's just you're going to cry uh, watching that um, Francis McDormand pops up in these kind of things a lot and uh, Channing Tatum does a uh, playing sort of I want to almost say a Gene Kelly type character has a fantastic dance number, just fantastic 
sailor <clears throat> sailors on leave dance number in a <clears throat> you know a below ground bar presumably in New York City and it is it is excellently performed uh, it's very funny and it's just packed with homoerotic moves that they all play off as though there's nothing to it but the longer the scene goes on the funnier it gets absolutely priceless um the story itself i sort of end up at who cares um but clearly the coen brothers are having a tremendous time in this little sandbox that was probably uh, informed their own youth these are the movies that they grew up on and they're paying tribute to them and borrowing from them and one thing and another and they're having a great deal of fun and so is everyone who's working with them that's definitely a c that's three c's in a row i saw deadpool with Ryan Reynolds, um, oh. Morena Baccarin, Baccarin um, who I know from Gotham, the TV show Gotham, where she does a really good job on that, um, and uh, a, a comic second banana type guy named T.J. Miller. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. It's, it's, uh, it's super violent and raunchy and self-deprecating, and I had said I was done with the, the comic book movies, but I got dragged to this one, and I had a good time. So that's now four in a row. Now let's talk about The Witch, which was directed by a man named Robert Eggers. Uh, you got to see this movie, man. E everyone listening to me, and you, even if you're not listening to me, go see it. Um, it's yeah. small, it's contained, there's about six characters, that's maybe even less than that. Um... This family gets kind of booted out of their, you know, it's taking place in the 1600s, the 1700s, booted out of the community that they're part of, and they have to sort of start up, up over again on their own, uh, just out on the land and make their way on the land, um, only there's something nasty in the woods. And uh, it's just a real, it's this very slow, it, it, their life is slow, and the camera, this camera is static, and everything is just sitting there. And, you know, what's going on outside the frame is sometimes more important than what's going on inside the frame. It's just a very well put together movie. Um, eh, the end, whatever, who knows. But uh, wow. uh, uh, that's a fifth one I recommend Zootopia. You got Jason Bateman, and oh, Idris Elba. For some reason, Idris Elba just sort of woke up one morning and I'm doing Disney movies. So he's in three uh, Disney animated movies this year um which is crazy uh one is zootopia one is finding dory and the other one is jungle book uh, that's crazy yes it is crazy um and he's also going to be in the upcoming star trek beyond are you a star trek fan of this reboot that they did i love the first one okay okay love it more than i ever loved the, the original series Yes, I thought it was one, fantastic. The second one let me down. Okay. As I'm, I believe you and I have, have talked about. Yeah, I, I'm, still, I'm still excited about the possibility of it. I, I wasn't too bummed out about too. the second no, one. I am too, but... Yeah. And he's playing somebody who's... It, maybe <laughs> it's crawl, or it's just some word that you just look at the word and you know he's going to be evil, and he will be fantastic doing that. Zootopia, listen... I don't have kids that age anymore, but I somehow have a wife that still wants to see these things, even in my advanced years. So we went to see it together, and it was fine. And particularly if you've got young kids, just go. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Interestingly, I think, the, the story was originally about the Jason Bateman character, and uh, the, the 
the cop. We see. I, I don't know if you've seen the trailers, but there's a kind of a con man, kind of a fox, and then there's a cop rabbit. And it was a, it was a story about the fox. And somewhere in the middle of the whole thing, they said screw it, and they made it the story about the the cop. And then so the 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 lead role and the second secondary role reversed. And I just think that's an interesting thing to be halfway through making a movie and go, you know what? This other character is better. Let's do her story. Um, <clears throat> Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, Tina Fey. I'm a big fan of Tina yeah. Fey for a long time now. Here she is. She's, she's breaking out into the dramas. This is a biopic, and she does a really solid job. There's a little bit of comedy. They played up the comedy more in the trailer than it really was in the movie. Uh, Margot Robbie is in it as well. Plays like a a reporter, a woman reporter who's there before her, so she kind of becomes a quasi-mentor, quasi-competitor to Tina Fey. Martin Freeman is in it. He's always likable and fun. Alfred Molina is hilarious in it. Um, and there's a character... He's always, he's always amazing. Yeah. No matter how small a part he has, he is amazing. He has about six scenes, six or seven scenes, and he basically wants to take Tina Fey to bed. He's a, a foreign diplomat, essentially. And just his blatant sort of pathetic attempts to to bed her and how she has to maneuver around him and use him a little bit to get what she wants and whatever very good and an actor named christopher abbott plays her you know man on the ground who's like her local guide so it would have been better if they had found you know an actual local person to play it but he does a fantastic job and he's an actor who can communicate so much just with his eyes just with the look on his face and his final scene is great yes sir um, going back to uh, to Alfred Molina for yes, a second, please just do. to tie it into you know movies that our listening audience probably have heard of. Yes, um, <clears throat> early role of his, he's in Raiders of the Lost Ark in the beginning of the movie. Yes, he he's is the guy who you know almost leaves Indy to get trapped in that opening thing. Absolutely, and he's recognizable in it. Yep. It's just on the edge of recognizability. But um, he's an actor who's... Uh, his IMDb deserves a really good going over because uh, I bet you will find one after another solid film. Uh, and certainly he that he's made better when he's in it. He's one of those guys. Um, I saw Eye in the Sky. Here comes Helen Mirren again. Oh, yeah. The incomparable Helen Mirren. Um, and Aaron Paul from uh, <clears throat> Breaking Bad. Hasn't done a lot of other stuff. He's kind of been laying low. But it is most notable as the, um, the last performance of Alan Rickman. The last screen performance of Alan Rickman. That's right. Um, and it is an earnest, almost maybe too earnest, um, you know, it's a movie about uh, the politics of war and, you know... Drone warfare. Drone warfare, and what does it take to be... What kind of toll does it take on the person who is operating the drone, who's pulling the trigger, who can see, you know, via video and spy satellites, can see on the ground who he's affecting. Years ago, you just flew it over, you couldn't... You didn't know you had a spot that was marked, you dropped it, whatever happened, happened, you went on. Now you right. can... Now you know. There's a there's a little kid playing right there in the in the you know collateral damage zone or whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of beats that you would kind of expect. Helen Mirren's character was written as a man, and then they cast her, so that added it added a dimension to it that wouldn't have been there 
um, if she had just if the character had just been played by a man, it would have made it all the more like stuff you've seen before. But her presence there sort of changes it up, and she and Alan Rickman are sort of two halves of trying to get something done. She's uh, she's a bloodthirsty uh, murderer essentially, um, so it's interesting to see her do that. She wants to drop that bomb, and she wants to figure out a way to get that done. And all of the politics standing in the way, uh, she, he's there to try to uh, wrangle for her so she can say, do it now. Um, nice. And he has possibly the best, I'm not even going to actually say what it is, but his last line in that movie, and his last line in any movie, was worthy of the career that he had. It's the best line in that movie, and I really wow. felt like I really felt like it was a a good uh, line to close his book on. Wow! Um, in an otherwise, I don't know, movie. So, you know, I would say Zootopia, Whiskey Tango, Eye in the Sky. These are all, eh, you know, I would say they fall in the the not to see category, um, with the exception possibly of Eye in the Sky. Uh, specifically for for Alan Rickman, um, there's also the boss, Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Bell, and Peter Dinklage, and I love Melissa McCarthy. She's awesome. Does the I, magic turn? I uh, well, <clears throat> look, this is going to fall into a subcategory of Melissa McCarthy, which is this movie, The Boss, and Tammy. The reason those fall together is because they were written by she and her husband Ben Falcone. And they right. were directed by Ben Falcone. Right. So within that small subcategory, this is the better of the two. It is better than Tammy. Oh, wow. But it does not reach the levels that even Spy got to. Or even some of her Saturday Night Live appearances, appearances where she is so fiercely committed to every ridiculous little sketch that you're just in awe of her commitment. Um, she's certainly committed here, but I don't feel like necessarily the story, the supporting cast, uh, hold her up as well. So, uh, I would say this is a not to see unless you are a diehard Melissa McCarthy, uh, and you need to check off every box in her, um, in her, uh, list there. And the last one I've got here is Jungle Book. Um, tons of voices, as you can imagine, Bill Murray, Ben Kingsley, Idris Elba, as I had mentioned, um, Chris Walken, and the last... Uh, film for Gary Shandling mm. uh, and this one it was directed by John Favreau it is phenomenal to look at I hear that the 3D is better I saw it and I, I didn't see it in the extra D because I'm too cheap but um, the story is the story if you've seen the old one you know the story if you haven't then you will be blown away by how it looks and you'll be entertained by the story if you do know the story all you can be is blown away by how it looks uh, there is if you think about like Star Wars uh, Phantom Menace, the first episode, episode one, which you may or may not have seen, that was a bunch of actors and everything else was digital. And everything else looked digital. This is photorealistic digital jungle. It's shot in a fucking warehouse somewhere with a kid running around in, in diapers. And they did just miraculous uh, uh, landscapes, camera work, and uh, the animals are, are pretty well stunning. Uh, in their photorealistic nature, except for the I part got where that they... sense from the trailers, except oh, for the part the where they talk, I, yeah, yeah. When I that I saw it, I remember my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, "Let's see that." <laughs> right. 
they do resurrect a couple of songs from the original. Uh, um, Chris Walken sings as King Louie. He sings I Want to Be Like You, um, which is it's fine. It's, it's, uh, they have fun with it. It's not a crazy wacky. Yes? I want to say, it, it, Chris Walken, um, Chris Walken made, uh, has a scene in a movie called Pennies from Heaven. Yes. Movie. He pops up for one scene in the movie and he does a, uh, a musical number. Yeah, tap dance or something. To an old recording. And he does this dance move routine that you would not expect. It's not the Chris Walken we know. Right, right. This is, this is Chris Walken in his prime doing amazing, amazing stuff. I urge everybody listening to at least find his scene, his his sequence yeah. in heaven. But I also recommend that you watch the whole movie. Uh yes, it's a it's a it's a during the time where Steve Martin was really sort of moving away from comedy and finding himself as a dramatic actor and I thought he was a terrific fit for this. And he had a bunch of Steve Martin had a bunch of movies during that time period which were some of them were misfires but he was just doing stuff that was different. He wasn't just cranking out another sausage. Um, but for me, as far as singing animals goes, it has to be Bill Murray as Baloo singing Bare Necessities. Uh, he, he's just, uh, it's just an absolutely charming um, moment. And uh, I say it again. Do you see a nomination in his future? Not for this, no. Not for the, It's oh. charming, but it's not that, no, that far. Just trying to put it on the scale. <laughs> it's not. It's not like that. But I, I have an affinity for that song anyway. And um, uh, I know that they Does did. Does it top Louis Prima version? Say that again. Does it top the Louis Prima version? Um, not for skill in vocalization or. It's just Bill Murray. He's not a great singer, but it's a good song, and it's just nice to see it come to life in a different way. And it's passable, as he music, he musically passable. He wasn't just in, like, Nick, the nightclub singer mode. From <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. It, it didn't seem like that. Um, I think they used um, some uh, motion capture for the actors' faces, so particularly in the case of Walken's character and the bear. Somehow this bear looks like... It has expressions that you've seen on Bill Murray's face. It's very, very strange when they look really don't look anything like the actor playing them, but they still move like the actor playing and them. The mannerisms. The mannerisms. Oh. It's very cool and fun, and I liked it. And John Favreau, I think, is a really interesting uh, director. He's done low budget and low tech, and he's gone high-tech as well, and I look forward to other stuff you might have. And now I truly am out of steam and out of topics. Oh, boy. Thank you so much for hanging with us and for sticking with us. and for Sticking it out this far. <laughs> and coming back next time, too. Uh, but for now and uh, for this time, the doctors are out. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. That wasn't a public, man. That oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why do I know that? I can cut it all out. Oh, my God.